0: Welcome to some more great Bible preaching from the pulpit of Capital City Baptist Church in the heart of Austin, Texas. Our prayer is that your relationship with Christ is strengthened and that you are blessed by the time you spend in the Word of God with us today. Let's stand together open our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 3. 2 Samuel chapter 3. I'm only going to read one verse this morning. I'll fill you in on the story. 2 Samuel 3 And the king lamented over Abner and said, Died Abner as a fool dieth. Let's pray. I'm going to ask for the mark you our Lead us in prayer this morning as we come. Amen. You may be seated. David was now king, Saul had died. The captain of Saul's army was Abner. Abner was kind of living in limbo, not knowing what would happen to him, knowing he'd lost his position, worrying about what David uh, would do. David already established Joab as his commander of the army. So David and Abner get together and they make a truce, and David sends him home. uh, Joab hears about it. He's worried about a revolt. He's worried about someone being traitorous in their thoughts and in their heart. So he gets together with this potential traitor and sticks a knife through his fifth rib and he dies. And at the funeral, David stands up, mourning, and says these words. As a matter of fact, he makes it a question. Died, Abner, as a fool dieth. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us why David made that statement or what would classify a person as a fool in death. But I know this. I don't want to die as a fool dieth. And here's the sad, sad tragedy of life. You don't want to live the life of a fool. You don't want to die to death of a fool you don't want to make decisions in life and your sin will catch up with you God will reveal your sin God will not be mocked God sees all God knows all and God judges with time everything and his judgment is sure why would someone that calls himself a Christian not live as a Christian and defame the name of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. We don't like to talk about death. But in 1 Samuel, look what David said about death in 1 Samuel 20. 1 Samuel 20, verse 3. And David swore moreover and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. And he said, "Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved." But truly, as the Lord liveth, and as I soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. I was driving down Manchek this morning, about 35 miles an hour. A squirrel ran out, and he ran out in a very untimely manner, and I hit the brakes slightly waiting to hear a thump-thump, and I didn't hear it. And I looked in my mirror miraculously. He had gone under my car, and it avoided being hit. The only problem was there was a car coming this way. Then I heard the thump-thump. Folks, on the Highway of Life, here's the problem. We fail to realize we're one step. Years ago when I was in Bible college, I had a good friend named Joseph Chevalier. And I remember coming home from work one night and hearing people sobbing, and Joseph had done some yard work, gotten his bike, was riding home, and a car hit him, 18 years old. No warning. He didn't have time to notify his parents, say goodbye to his friends. Suddenly it left this planet and entered eternity. Your one step, whether it be a heart attack, a stroke... An accident, remember years ago, we were with a lady and uh, lived out on the highway and she uh, had uh, a momentary, I I don't know, brain lockup or something, but she literally backed out onto the highway, blocking both lanes, and the vehicle died. We watched cars come over that hill and try to screech to a stop doing 65 or 70 miles an hour. We stare death in the face and manage to escape. But every single one of you know you're this close. And it could be today or tomorrow. You say, Pastor, you are trying to depress us this morning? No, I'm trying to wake everyone up that's in here. Because the last thing you want to do, so here's what I asked myself this week. What would you classify or what would God classify as dying the death of a fool, and you know what God actually gives us in his holy word what it means to be to die as a fool. look what it said in Luke chapter twelve luke twelve sixteen and he spake a parable to them, saying, "The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits?" And he said, "This will I do, I'll pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits, my goods." And I'll say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool. This is not man. This is God looking down at a hardworking, honest man who saved money, accumulated, worked hard. And what we would think to be is doing the right thing, providing for his family. God said... Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Here's a man that died a fool. You say, Why in the world would God classify him as a fool? If you live your life and don't prepare your soul for eternity, you will die a fool. If you don't understand there is a judgment day coming, every man on this planet will stand before God give an account of the things that he's done in this life, and if you're not prepared for that moment, you will die and you will classify yourself as a fool. Is this a man who uh, refused to believe in God? Now, the Bible does say in Psalms, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Any man that lives this life denies the existence of God is a fool and will die a fool. And as soon as he dies, a second later, he'll change his mind. Those false beliefs will be changed. But even if this man, I doubt seriously, if someone would have asked this man or interviewed this man, do you believe in God? He probably would have said, yes, I believe there's a God. How in the world do I get rain? And how in the world does this harvest, uh, is it so bountiful? Of course I believe in God. But he never saw a personal need for God or a need to trust Christ as his personal Savior. There was a basic belief in the existence of God. And because he hadn't prepared his soul for death, he died the death of a fool. Now, here's what God did. God, in his love and mercy, gave us a book so we can die prepared. God doesn't want any man to die as a fool. Here's what he... Did you know if God, he gave us 66 books, and from Genesis to Revelation, there's gospel in every single book, and if you just had one book or two books or any three books, four books, you would know enough to understand the plan of salvation and get to heaven. Did you know if if God would have just left you the first three chapters of John, you would know enough to get to heaven. Turn with me over to John for a minute. Let's take a little detour if God would have just left these three chapters, but no, He left us thousands. You say, well, how is it that there are so many religions? How is it that there's so much confusion? I honestly don't know, although I'm convinced that Satan is the master of confusion. He wants to blind the hearts of men so that they will die as fools. He wants to put people in churches, add a little bit of confusion to the truth, so they'll never understand... The clarity of the gospel, never stop trusting in their works and their church membership or their baptism, and they will die fool. That's Satan's plan. That is not God's plan. And God in mercy and love wrote John 1, 2, and 3. Look what it said in John 1, 12. But as many as received him. Now, if you don't have a day when you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and received him as your personal Savior, you're not prepared. That means at this moment, if you haven't had a moment in your life, I'm not talking about a process or a time where you were believing in God and growing in your belief in God and becoming familiar with the Scripture. I'm talking about a moment in time when you repented of your sins and trusted Christ as your Savior. If you've never had that moment, at this moment, if you died, you would die as a fool Dieth. Look what it says. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them, how do we become the son of God? Oh, some say, we're all sons of God. No, not according to the Bible. According to the Bible, you've got to be born into the family of God to become a son of God. And that happens when you do what? Believe on his name. Look what it says in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 7. Here comes a good man seeking the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ says, the first words out of his mouth, verse 7, Marvel not that I say to ye, ye must Be born uh, again. Well, how do you get born again? Christ was very thorough in his explanation of getting born again. But look what it says in verse 15. Whosoever believeth in him, in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, should not perish but have eternal life. Here's what God said. I don't want you to die in ignorance. I don't want you to die without a complete knowledge of how to get to heaven when you die would it be strange if God went through all the trouble preparing heaven but didn't give us a roadmap how to get there? Can you imagine God saying, I love you so much that I've prepared heaven for you, I just am not going to tell you how to get there. You're going to have to figure it out, you're going to have to wander around in the dark, you're going to have to guess, you're going to have to hope, you're going to have to work hard, and maybe at the end of the day, the moment you die, you will have gotten it right. Boy, that would be awful. God said, I don't want to leave any guesswork out. I want to make it clear and I want to make it plain. So he did. (coughs) Look what it says in verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, here it is, how much clearer can it be? Well, how do we know? How do you know? What is salvation about? No, Jesus Christ makes it very clear that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent his son, not his son to the world, to condemn the world, but that the world through... Baptism? No. Through church membership? No. Through good works? No. Through Him, through Christ, through His shed blood, through the eternal life that He offers us that they might be saved. Verse 18, he that believeth on Him, on Jesus Christ, is not condemned. There's only one way. So if I don't want to die the death of a fool, if I want to be prepared, uh, the only way you can be prepared for Judgment Day... Is to say, I don't want to be judged by my works. Can you imagine how scary a thought? And I've heard people say, Well, I've done enough good to get myself to heaven. If you're vol- volunteering yourself to be judged by your works, you are really, really crazy. You're really proud and really crazy. You're really self deceived and ignorant and really crazy. Because if anyone is honest with themselves and the things that they've done over the past 30 or 40 or 50 years of life, there's no way on this planet I want you reviewing day one today, however long I've lived. It's been a lot of days, amen? I can't do math that quick. But thousands of days later, I don't want anyone thumbing through my life and deciding my destiny based on my works. So the only way you can be prepared for that judgment day is to say, I want my name in the book of life. I want a reservation in heaven. Yes. Secured long. Listen, how many of you travel and you like to secure your reservations long before you take off? You want to go and know where you're going to sleep and it's a good, decent place, and when you get there, you've got somewhere reserved for you. How many of you didn't make reservation? You took off down the road you stop and they said, we're full, we're so sorry. And you stop and they said, we're full, we're so sorry. And when I don't, I remember one time coming out of Mexico and we didn't know exactly where we were going to be late at night. And we stopped, we were out in the middle of nowhere, Texas. Uh, and it's 12, 1230 at night and I'm tired. And it, the next, we see a sign that says 80 miles to Del Rio. And I told Kim, can you make it 80 miles? She said, no. I said, I can't make it 80 miles either. And I don't want to sleep in the car we drove by this little scary-looking building that said hotel. And I pulled in, and, and, oh, and I knocked on the door, and a lady came out, and she said, you want a room? I'm not really here, but hey, is there any other place around? She said, no, you got to drive 80 miles to Del Rio. I said, give us a room. And we walked up there and opened up the door. I said, kids, no one take off their clothes. No one take off their shoes. No one touch anything. How are we going to sleep in here, Dad, if we can't touch anything? I don't know. Pull out some clothes from the car and lay it on top of the bed. (laughs) Brittany said, can we take a shower? We turned on the water. Literally, folks, I'm not exaggerating. Brown slush came out of those water pipes. You know, you say, what are you trying to say, preacher? I'm trying to say, you better make a reservation. You're going to end up in the wrong place, a place you don't want to be you better make sure before you die you know where you're headed. God says, here's the road map. Listen, the Roman Catholic Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Methodist Church, the Baptist Church, the Pentecostal Church is not the road map. Their dogma is not the road map. This book, God's holy word, is the road map. And if you don't do exactly what his word says, guess what? You're not getting there. You will die as a fool die. Go back and look in Luke chapter 16. There's another man that died as a fool died. Luke sixteen, verse 19, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared socially every day. Now, just looking at this man, everyone would say he's lived the life of a very wise man. He's a businessman. Listen, he is dressing nice. He's wearing the finest suits, driving a Maserati, living in the nicest neighborhoods. And everyone around will say, that's a wise businessman. He's done things right. He's done things properly. And look at the way he's blessed. There's only one problem. Wisdom in the eyes of man doesn't make you or help you die uh, like a wise man. You can still die like a fool looking like a wise man on this earth. So everyone around him would look at him and say, how wise, but there's only one problem. Verse 22, came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by angels in Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, but the chapter continues there. His life wasn't over. He had all eternity waiting ahead of him. Look what it says in verse 23. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. Now listen to me. If you have a, sat in a church, heard the gospel, have this book. Now, he did not have the New Testament. He did not have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He didn't hear the Romans wrote because Romans had not been written. Paul was yet to come. But he did have the Old Testament. He did have Isaiah 53. He did have a Christian sitting at his doorstep. Now, here's how you die as a fool. If you reject the warning of a coming judgment, you will die as a fool. I don't know what, now listen, if you want to see a group of mockers, you go downtown, sit on 6th Street, pass out a few gospel tracts, watch how this world responds to the warning of coming judgment. Now there are a few people that don't help the cause. There was someone that predicted the end of the world yesterday at 6 o'clock. No wonder this world laughs. No wonder this world mocks. Because we have people doing all kinds of crazy things in the name of God and Christianity. No wonder this world is going to laugh away the thought of the rapture. And there will be a rapture. And the second coming, there will be a second coming. And a judgment day. And there will be a judgment day. I remember years ago talking, the only time I've ever talked to a Muslim... And uh, I've never studied out what Muslims believe. I've studied out a lot of cults, but never uh, that religion. And uh, in uh, our speech, I I asked him, I said, now help me out. I said, "Uh, what do Muslims believe? Do they actually believe this book? He said, well, uh, we believe the Koran first, and then we believe that the Bible has a lot of good teaching. I said, so you believe the teaching of Jesus? Yeah, pretty much. And the teachings of Paul? Yeah, pretty much. And I took the Philippians 2, 9. I said, do you believe Philippians? He said, oh, yes. I don't think he'd ever read Philippians. Yeah. But he wanted to sound read in the scriptures. Yeah. And he tells him, I said, that is fantastic. So you believe Paul? Oh, yes, he's a good prophet. His words were true, absolutely. So whatever he said, you would accept, undeniably. That's what Muslims believe. Yes. I said, well, let's see what Paul says. Let's Let's turn over there to Philippians chapter 2. And I turned the Bible around where he could read it. And I said, would you read this verse to me? He said, sure. Wherefore, God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name. He didn't know who he was talking about. Given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. And he stopped. He said, well, we don't believe that part. I said, how convenient. So I finished it for him. Verse 11. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, every man everywhere on every continent will one day stand before God. Now, here's what you should do to be prepared for that moment. Go ahead and confess it now. Go ahead and confess your sins. Confess Christ as your Savior. Go ahead and say... God has a plan and I've got to accept God's plan and that's admitting my sinful condition, that's admitting my need for Jesus Christ and I'll get on my knees on this earth so God won't have to force me to my knees after this life. And if you were wise and if you were smart and if you were intelligent, you would get in this book and say, I'm going to get on my knees. I'm going to trust Christ as my Savior because I don't want to die as a fool. Because if you die, it doesn't matter what you accumulate on this earth. It doesn't matter how many people you impress. It doesn't matter how many letters you have before your name. I don't care about your Ph.D. or your D.D. or any other initials you can find to put there and impress people. If you have not done what this Bible says to prepare your soul for eternity, you will die as a fool. Right. You tell me, how smart, how wise, how intelligent is it to die in this day and age with all 66 books of the Bible translated in your language having sat in a Bible-preaching church, having heard the gospel, how wise would it be to reject the very Word of God, deny the Scripture, disobey the plan of God that He intends to use to give you eternal life, and end up in a lake of fire. Now, how wise is that? That, God says, would be to die as a fool. Diet. Now, if you look at scripture, there were a few that this world would consider fools that were determined, I don't want to die like a fool. Luke chapter 19, let's look at a few of them real quickly. Luke 19 talks about a little man named Zacchaeus. I remember the story Zacchaeus. Tax collector, not very well liked because here's what the tax collectors would do they would go around collecting the taxes and adding to those charges to make additional money in order to take vacations to the Holy Land. <laughs> make sure they took the Holy Land tour, amen? So he was stealing. The people knew it. It was authorized theft, and he could get away with it. But here he is, this little man, and he hears about Jesus coming through, and he knew there was a hollow part in his heart, and he... Knew he was missing something. He needed something that would bring true peace and joy. So Jesus Christ is coming through town. Look what he does. Verse 4, he ran before, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. Now, can you imagine a businessman that's well-known in the community climbing a tree in a public place at a public outing? Most people would say, idiot. You're an idiot. But he said, I... No, my life is not what it should be. I know I need some answers. I know I don't have the answers. I know Jesus Christ might have the answers. And look what it says in verse 9. Jesus said to him, This day salvation. Come to this house. You know why Zacchaeus is in heaven? He said, There's no way I'm going to die as a fool die. Look what it says in Luke chapter 23. Luke 23, 39. One of the malefactors factors which were hanged, uh, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. This man is about ready to die as a full dieth. Not just rejecting Christ, but laughing at the very thought that this might be the promised Messiah, the one who had shed his blood and offer eternal life, the forgiveness of sins. The other answering rebuked him, saying, Does not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? We indeed justly, that we're receiving this because... Look at what we've done and who we are. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Here's a man who lived his entire life as a fool. And he was paying the consequence. And if you live as a fool, you'll pay the consequence. But at some point near death, the light turned on. He understood that he was... Had the privilege of dying right next to the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God. And as he watched this man die, he said, There's something special about him. He's not guilty. He must be the Savior. I will put my faith and trust in him. And moments later he found himself in paradise. That is what I would call a pretty wise decision. I know he made a lot of bad decisions, but he sure remedied a lot by making one decision, a wise decision, which was, I I may have lived like a fool, and I'm paying the consequence of living like a fool, but I don't want to die like a fool. I do want heaven. I do want forgiveness of sins. Let me ask you this before we move on. In your condition this morning, If you were to die today, would you die like a fool? Because you've never, ever taken advantage of the moment and said, at this moment, I understand my condition. I understand I'm lost. I understand I'm a sinner. I understand that my sin has a payment, and that payment is the lake of fire. But I also understand that Jesus Christ loves me, and he died on the cross to save me, and he wants to forgive me, and I want that forgiveness. And I want him in my heart my life. And Jesus, if you would forgive me and come into my heart and save me, I'd sure appreciate it. That's the only line between a fool and a wise man. It's not the amount of money you have in a bank account. It's not the job you hold or the prestige you have or the car you drive or the money in your billfold or whether you are a gold card member or have a timeshare in Hawaii, it's not the zeros in your salary because you can still have all those things and die the death of a fool. Go back to Luke chapter 12 for a minute. How do you die the death of a fool? Look what it says, verse 16. He spake a parable unto them, saying, At The ground of it certain rich men brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying... Mark these words. What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. This will I do. I will pull down my barns. I bestow, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. I will say to my. Do you see someone stuck on themselves? Focused on themselves. Here's how you can die a fool. You can even be a Christian and die a fool if your focus and the focus of this life is yourself. Did you know that he was very much like the typical American in 2011 because his whole focus was his retirement? What am I going to do when I'm 65? I've got to make sure I've accumulated plenty, my barns, and the whole focus was bigger barns. You know what the focus of the United States, the average citizen of the United States of America in 2011? Bigger barns. Our focus is a 401k. You don't have a 401k. I have a 223 and a 270, but I don't own a 401. Amen. Well, how much gold do you have? How much silver do you have? How much money do you have put away? What's going to happen when you're six Now, folks, I don't think God's against saving, and I don't think God's against an nest egg, but I do believe there's a biblical principle, and when your focus becomes about this life and material goods and what you can have and what you can accumulate, everything becomes about you, and guess what you do? You start making plans that don't even include God. Uh. And you can move to a city that has no church that will help you because your plan is not about God and growing in grace and, and establishing a good Christian family. Your focus is about what you can get and glean and have and gain in the future. And you will die a fool. I remember reading out of curiosity because we had to take a psychology class when I was in college. The only thing I remember from a semester of psychology, brother man, is a story by Sigmund Freud. Have you ever heard of Sigmund Freud? I think the real pronunciation of his name is Sigmund Freud. More Freud than Freud. But he did tell the story about a traveler in the South Sea, around the South Sea Islands, and he was shipwrecked and he made it to an island and there, I don't, I don't, I don't even remember if this was a make-believe story or if he had some kind of point to it. Uh, but he said that there in's sea uh, he thought, good night, these are probably cannibals. And sure enough, they got him and they grabbed him as soon as he got on the island and they carried him up to their village. And he thought, as soon as we get to the top, they're going to throw me in a pot and cook me and I'm done. But surprisingly, they took him to the throne and they put him on it and, gave him and said, for the next year, you are our king. We are thy servants. He thought this is fabulous. So he began to rule his kingdom. Well, several months in, he realized that they did this to every visitor that came on their island, but their reign only lasted a year. Then they were sent to a neighboring island, and he said, This is not a problem. I'm the king. So he made boats, and they traveled to the island. And they begin to plant grain and build a house and bring over fruit trees. And he said, "I will make my future much more pleasant than my present." Are you with me this morning? How is it that Christians know this life is short? Your time on this earth is very limited. Why is it that we are not focusing any time or energy on the eternal? And here's what a fool will do. He will accumulate everything he can't even keep. And he will gather and he'll sweat and he'll work and he'll save and he'll scrimp. And then he gets to pay 33% when he dies. And another 25% goes to the lawyer. And the kids will quickly quickly, uh, uh, waste the remaining 40% or 30% that he had just spent saving, scrimped on vacations, lived without, didn't enjoy the pleasures because he had to win the American race, which was he who dies with the most is the winner. I'm going to get all I can, put it in a can, and sit on the can for as long as I can. I've never understood the philosophy. But I think that would actually classify you as a fool, not as a, you know what one of the wisest men that ever lived said, and now we look back on his foolishness. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Here's how you can die as a fool. Amazing how many Christians read the word of God, never get the mind of God, and live so foolishly, wasting a, their time, their energy, their effort, and everything God gave them to prepare for eternity. And here's Solomon. Now, you've got to remember this. Ecclesiastes is not a book of doctrine. It's a book written from the perspective of a man that worked all of his life as a fool, and the world considered him the wisest man that ever lived. So in his wisdom, he made wise investments. He never would touch Enron's stock he jumped ship on AIG when it was still worth $60 before it plummeted to $1.43. And the world said, Ooh, he's so smart. He bought gold at 200 and sold it at 1500 an ounce. He's a genius. And the world said everything he touches turns to gold. Before Midas, they referred to him as Midas. He might be the inventor of the stock market. You say, what are you, what are you talking about, Preacher Solomon? The wisest, richest man that ever lived. And in his closing days, look what he says I said in mine heart, Go now, verse 1 I'll prove thee with mirth, enjoy pleasure. Behold, there is vanity. This also is vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of mirth, what do it? I sought in mine heart to give myself into wine, equating my heart with wisdom, to lay a hold on folly. Verse 4, I made me great works. I built me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. I planted trees and all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water, probably with fountains. Verse 7, I got me servants and maids. I had servants born in my house. I also had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. How many remember the 40,000 horses he had in his stalls? Just so you catch a glimpse of this man's wealth. I don't call that real wisdom wanting to own 40,000 horses, but hey, help yourself. You can only ride one at a time, amen? So why clean up after 40,000 if you're only going to ride one? Nine, so I was great, increased more than all that were before me in Jerusalem also look what he says my wisdom and no one would dispute this they would say look at his wisdom and whatsoever mine eyes desired i kept not from them i had it all i had the money you would think that this would be the zenith that everyone would say if anyone would die as a wise man it would be solomon verse 11 then i looked on all the works of my hands that wrought in the labor that i had labored to do and behold i said what all All of this, all that I've worked for, I've sweated and I've saved and I've been wise and I've made good decisions. And in the end, I realize I'm on the verge of dying like a fool dieth. Look what he says. Verse 14. The wise man's eyes are in his head. The fool walketh in darkness. I myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all. Then said I in my heart, is it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. You know what he's saying? In his death, I thought of myself so wise and everyone around me is saying I'm so wise and I'm classified as the wisest man that ever lived. But look at the fool in his folly. We're going to die the same with nothing. We'll own the same size plot, be put in the same size coffin and leave with the same amount of goods. Nothing. Nothing. For there is, look what he says in verse 15, And why, then said I in my heart, as it happened to the fool, so it happened even to me, why was I then more wise? He said, I just deceived myself. I thought because I had an Armani suit and a Maserati car that I was more wise. But I realized death put us all on the same level, the same plane. I'm going to die the same death. The fool dies because my focus was this life and the things of this life and the accumulation of things. So I, in the end, thinking myself wise, classified myself with the fools. Then I said in my heart, this also is vanity, for there is no remembrance of the wise more than the fool. Have you ever been out and walked through a cemetery and saw wise, fool, wise, fool, they all. You can differentiate between one or the other. You know what determines or differentiates between the wise and the fool? Take a look after their death. Number one, their residing place. There are no wise men in hell. None, zilch, may be considered wise on this earth but not wise in depth. But so many work so hard. And most are Christians. The world can't tell a dime's worth of difference in 2011 between a Christian and an unchristian. Monday, they basically dress the same way. They laugh at the same jokes. And they have the same desire, let's accumulate as much as we can and sit on the can. Let's build our 401k. Let's impress people with our vehicle. Let's go into debt so someone thinks we're something special. And we are in a dog race to die as fools. This life is not about the eternal. It's not about what matters. And in the end, all that sweat and blood and tears and sacrifice those long hours, that overtime, all that money you saved and then you're laying in a hospital bed, that little blip on the radar of time and eternity that we call your life. Now the real life is about to start and you can look back on 50 years or 60 years and say, did I do anything, anything at all that really mattered? Am I taking anything with me? I got a house. I did it. I paid it off two years ago, and I only paid three times its worth, but I did it. And I have a nice car, and I had some nice clothes. Now I have three children who are sweet-talking me because they all want the same house that I sweated for. And I'm such a good father, I'm going to give them something to hate each other for. As Christians, we made, made the wise decision to accept Christ and not die as a fool. And then we live our whole lives the same way this man did. My barns. I need bigger ones, I need more grain. I need them fuller and bigger and more impressive. So people can drive by and say, wow, that's his barn. That's his tractor. Have you seen the furniture in his barn? <laughs> he plows with thoroughbreds. And guess what? You die, get put in the same cemetery as that vagabond that lived on the streets for 26 years. And that ring they bury you with will stay behind like everything else you ever struggled to gain. Because somewhere, this world messed up your philosophy and you thought, what I accumulate makes me worth a lot. God says, thou fool. Let me ask you this. Is there even a question mark at the end of that sentence? Or has God already put an exclamation point? This morning, you can change things by trusting Christ as your Savior. And if you're a Christian living as a fool, you can change things by saying, I've got to get refocused on what really matters. And the accumulation, I need things to live, but I don't need to live for things. i got to refocus. Father, we love you. We pray this morning you would get our attention. We do not want to live as fools. We do not want to die as fools. God, so much of our time and energy and effort is spent on the accumulation of things that will soon pass, things with such a short shelf life, every head bowed and every eye closed and looking around. Who in here this morning would say, preacher, I don't know if I'm saved, I don't remember a time in my life when I put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Preacher, would you pray for my soul? I don't want to die as a fool, I want to die as a wise man. I want to know for sure my name is written in the book of life, that I have a place reserved in the heavens. Preacher, would you pray for me? Just slip your hand up, slip it right back down. Preacher, pray for me. That's my prayer. That's me. my need. That's my desire. If you'd like to get saved this morning, you can. You should. That would be the best decision of your life. The worst decision of your life would be to walk out of these doors Never having put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't do it. What a horrible mistake. Is there someone in here this morning that'd say, Preacher, I need to be born again. I need to trust Christ as my Savior. I want eternal life. Pray for me. Slip your hand up slip it right back down. That's me, preacher. Pray for me. Anybody at all, say, Preacher, that's me. Pray for me. How many in here this morning are Christians and you'd say, Preacher. My focus is kind of straight and I get so caught up in this life and the things of this life and the accumulation of things that really don't matter. I get so distressed, so perturbed, so upset about the absence of those things or the loss of those things. Preacher, pray for me that my focus would match God's focus. My heart would be aligned with God's heart. Preach, would you pray for me? Slip your hand up, slip it right back down. Thank you. Why don't you do this this morning? Why don't you kneel where you're at or come down to this altar this morning and say, God, I want to have your heart when it comes to the things of this life. I want to be focused on things that truly matter. I don't want to be distracted. I don't want to be sidetracked. I don't want to be caught up in the rat race of accumulation of things that don't even matter. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today. But more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.